Hello, and welcome to the Revenue Marketing Report powered by Caliber Mind. I'm your host, Kamala Thompson, and today I'm thrilled to introduce Barry Maroney. Barry, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, Kamala. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, Barry Maroney, I'm the CEO of Leadable. Uh, we're a uh, company we work primarily with SMEs, helping them to attract enterprise clients. I suppose the niche thing or unique thing that we do is work with clients who usually have larger contract values, maybe smaller markets, who want to play that kind of quality over quantity, ABM style outbound kind of game. Um, and we've been doing it for a little bit over three years now and uh, yeah, continuing to grow hopefully over the next couple. Wonderful. So before we jump into our favorite topic, ABM, and I, I swear it's only behind attribution and being divisive <laughs> in marketing, but before we dig into what it is and what it isn't, I'd love for you to give like a ballpark estimate. How, what's the ratio of people doing ABM in the truest sense of the word versus something else? Yeah, good question. And I would say anecdotally, of the of every ten people that I speak with who who believe and and I think that they genuinely believe that they are doing ABM style outbound, I would say that one or two out of every ten are actually doing it in the way that it can like are actually unlocking the potential of doing it, and the others are doing very minor amounts of account based kind of customization or prep in advance, but not what I certainly not what I would class ABM and I would say it's as high as kind of. 80 or 90% are not. Wow. Well, and I, I would agree with you on that assessment anecdotally, of course. So let's take this opportunity to kind of break down what ABM is and isn't. I would love to hear that from you. Yeah, I mean, where it pertains to outbound, obviously, that, that's our area of expertise at Leadable, so that's kind of what I'll talk on. The point I made a moment ago, I, I've been as guilty of this as everybody else that I've spoken to. If you ask me this question, 18 months ago, I thought that we were heavy on ABM and, and I would tell people, you know, that this is kind of what we're doing. But now I realize, you know, what we are actually capable of doing now compared to what we were doing then, we were only kind of touching the surface of it really. And what I would say it is done correctly. Now done correctly is also a subjective term and it, it varies on a customer's use case. So for example, if a client of ours has very large contract values and a very small total addressable market, they will play a very different game to somebody who has maybe small to mid-sized contract values and maybe a large total addressable market. If we take both ends of that spectrum, and what I would always say is that I, I don't believe it's, it's necessarily something that, that you should do if the contract values are very small. Um, it's probably too much work without enough of a return. But if we start on one end of the extreme side of the spectrum, the very large contract values, the very small total addressable markets, doing a deep dive into any given account, identifying the you know potentially 10 plus or maybe even more key stakeholders who can influence the decision and creating bespoke content for every touch point that you're going to have with them and rolling it out across multiple channels, like obviously email and social and calling and you know physical mail and everything bespoke to every individual at every touch point. Now, if you're that, that makes sense if you've got six-figure contract values uh, and maybe a smaller market because you want to make the most of everything that's out there. But on the other end of the spectrum, you're talking about maybe larger contract values, and you want to balance that. You want to get the right balance of quality but also with quantity. And I think that's where your kind of ABM can really help even more so than the other ones because you can do things at a brand level. So you might look at doing deep research on certain brands and then rolling out brand-based messaging to multiple stakeholders within those brands. 
it's not quite as bespoke to the individual as the other way, but it allows you for the same amount of time and costs to basically roll it out to more companies, and that's maybe more suitable. So I think that that's what it is. What it absolutely is not is, and this is probably the most common thing that I see where people are talking about doing ABM, is splitting up accounts among their reps. So saying, we got five reps here, we're going to give each of the reps 20 accounts, but then the reps just behave like normal with those accounts. And nothing is different, nothing is done differently for any of them in any different way. Uh, that, that's probably the most common thing that I see, as well as obviously the, the tried and tested old school, or when I say old school, maybe five, six, seven, eight years ago, the use of variables to kind of act as personalization used to these accounts. And that's, uh, that's also not ABM. And then many, some people think what that, that would be. I'm hearing a couple different flavors of ABM. And correct me if I'm wrong. So, and it's really dependent on total addressable market and contract value. So if you have a lower contract value, let's say it's over 10K, but you're around 60K, it's not the six figure. It sounds like targeting specific companies and customizing at the company level and still doing the multi-channel approach, but not quite as much work goes into the person by person personalization. And then I'm also hearing the flavor of, we have really large contract values. Our total addressable market is smaller. We want to make this as personalized as possible. So we're getting down to the individual person level. Is, is that correct? Or do you think there's still variability depending on the business? So yeah, there's additional variability on top of that. So like on the extreme side where it's a small market, you absolutely have to make the most of, you know, we, we work with some clients where they're, their total adjustment market is two or 300 companies total. That's it. There's wow. nobody else for them to talk to. And they'd have very long sales cycles, eight to 10 year sales cycles. So with them, there would be lots of stakeholders within them. And it's not really a lead gen. The remit is not lead generation. It's brand awareness from an ABM style outbound effort over a, you know extended period of time. Could be 12 months of engagement, obviously not contacting that person every day, you know, slowly and very softly reaching out to those people so that when the time is right, they maybe are aware of, you know, customer X or client X. And that that's on the extreme end. But the other point that you mentioned where it's, let's say, and this is probably the most common case that, that we see, contract value might be 20, 30, 40, 50, 60K, and they have a mid-sized to potentially large total addressable market. Now, that alone, you can't blanket that to say, okay, we're going to do this approach definitely because there's variability within what they're doing. So, you might be a, a business who sells into, I had a conversation with a potential client yesterday where they were selling into brands like the likes of like Unilever and the, these kind of brands that have loads of sub brands. And beneath that, they want to target all of the brand managers within all of the sub brands. But it's the same to all of the people that they reach out to within each of these sub brands. They all have the same problems. They all have the same pain points and it would be the same message. So the best thing to do in that scenario is let's say, you know, sub-brand A, do deep research on sub-brand A and roll out that message to all of the brand managers and maybe do something special for the brand director within that brand. But then you might have somebody else who has the same contract values, same total addressable market, but when they target companies, they're targeting somebody in IT and somebody in marketing and somebody in finance and somebody in operations. And each of those people has very different pain points. So you can't just write company-based messaging and roll it out to an IT person and a marketing person at the same time because they have different motivations. So at that point, you'd have to do kind of, you might group them and you might say, 
maybe IT and finance have the same problems, so we can group them together with a message on that side, and maybe marketing and sales and operations all have a commercial problem, and we can group messaging for them as well. So. What we always do, like at Leadable, we have productized all of our, let's say, pricing plans, but then it's on a client-by-client -client basis of exactly what they would need in terms of how we do the outreach. Yeah, that's such a great point because you're spot on. I totally agree with the persona-based pain points. It, it's going to be highly variable across IT, finance, and marketing. We just care about different things. So from the standpoint of we have, we know our total addressable market, let's talk about what ABM Outbound isn't. So I love outreach. It's a fantastic tool. And I see a lot of people building sequences that are persona-based, but there's very little personalization that tends to... It, you can personalize it quite a bit. But I see that salespeople are really resistant to do that because they have this volume-based mentality. And I think this is, this is pretty classic where, and I've talked to tons of sales leaders who tell me I need more at-bats, I need more at-bats. And it's less about the conversion rate and the quality of the individual leads and how they're moving into pipeline and more about, I just want my sales guy in front of this because they're the one who's going to make the sale anyway. How have you combated that disparate notion between departments and maybe marketing's the one with the attitude. Although I see this more often on the sales side, I gotta be honest. And I don't blame them because they have to hit a quota. Yeah. So yeah, you're right. It's a really, it's a conundrum because qu the quickest way to really quick wins is volume. So you take everybody, blast as much as possible, and you will get some quick wins now at a massive cost. You know, the, the brand impact is very negative from that type of outreach and you will burn through your market very, very quickly. So if you have, no, I say that with one caveat, if your contract value is, let's say you've got a $500 a year SaaS product and you can sell to pretty much everybody, that's your game, you know, spray and pray, throw as much out there in the hope that whatever sticks, and that's definitely the best way to go. But if you want a slightly more quality approach and the contract values are a little bit larger to justify that, then, that's a very dangerous game. That's a very short-sighted game. And we've actually seen that in the market lately. I, I won't actually mention the names of the companies, but there's been some big companies laying off at scale SDRs over the past like three to four weeks of last month. And that is as a result of building up those teams too quickly, huge volume of SDRs doing high volume generic outbound and it just the, that model does not work. Uh, it's it's designed for very very quick wins. It's not sustainable in any way. And we're seeing the kind of results of that in the market at the moment. So I think it's it's never been more prevalent to do this type of quality outreach than than it is than we're seeing right now. Yeah, I like that point and very on topic for where we are in the market. Um, so I've seen sales organizations grow at the extremes in two ways, and then there's a hundred flavors in between. So one is you need to hit more revenue, you add more reps. Yep. And then the other way is to be more intentional about it, really focus on conversion rates and how well each rep is doing. So in the hire more reps, I tend to see they've got about 20% of their reps who are just killing it, and the rest of the 80% are kind of struggling. Yep. So when we first roll out an ABM approach, does it make sense to roll it out with a subset of the team, record the wins, and really celebrate it publicly? Or do you start at the top and really get buy-in from the leadership team? What have you seen be more effective? Good question. So I would say like the, the latter part of that, 
buy-in from the leadership team, regardless of anything else, is is important because it's a it's a longer-term game. You know, you you go with the the blast model, you'll get your quick wins potentially. Um, if you don't get quick wins, you're in big trouble because you're not going to get longer tailwinds. But with this other model, this time kind of softer, more personalized approach. It's probably a little bit slower because you're not going to be hitting as high volume immediately and you're going to kind of slow roll these people. So you need the buy-in for them to, to be okay with saying, okay, we're going to look at this kind of, you know, in six months time as opposed to pulling the plug in, in 30 days time. So yeah, on, on the first point, selecting a few team members, and this, this is something that comes up quite a bit because you're going to have to benchmark the success. It's a very different type of approach and people will want to be able to see justifiable ROI from doing it because it's more time consuming and as a result, more expensive. So what I always recommend is to take, imagine you're a company and you've got five STRs and you're running normal outbound and you want to maybe try something different. Rather than taking one SDR and, you know, you know, potentially let's say if, if we were working with them, supporting that SDR to, to make their campaigns more quality, that at the end of that, you still have subjective data around all of that because maybe that SDR is the best one or maybe they're the worst one and it's hard to know. So what I would always say is take your five and do a portion of using the same data set. So let's say you're using Apollo or Lusha or Zoom Info or whatever and you're typically targeting 1,000 contacts a month, maybe that would be high volume. Take a portion of those, take 100 or 200 of those for every rep and give it the proper treatment with those but continue to run your normal campaigns and then Watch the data for three months, and you can benchmark in very objective terms that we, you know, either spent with a partner like Leadable, or we spent X amount of extra time, and we we're able to find that cost doing it this way, and we got Y results versus the other one. And without that, it's um, you know, you're just kind of guess. Well, sometimes you'll know by looking at the data, but it's a little bit guessy otherwise. Okay, so just to make it super simple, we've got outreach, we've got persona-based marketing, and we have fields that we can swap out to personalize it further. That's not ABM. What's the level of uh, personalization you'd expect them to go on Sales Navigator, look at their history, maybe make a comment about something they've been interested in lately? What's the level of personalization that you find is effective? So volume of personalization is is what you could write an entire sequence of 10 emails and have every single word of that entire thing be bespoke to the individual, but it, it still might not be good. Relevance, personalization alone is no longer enough. Five years ago, you threw anything in at the top of an email that was bespoke to an individual. It worked because they just nobody else was doing it. it. Caught their attention. They thought, wow, this is, you know, for me. That doesn't work anymore. Relevance and personalization is key now. So being able to join the dots between what a person or what a business or what a function within a business is talking about publicly or what they're going through and tie that to how you might be able to help them in you know some kind of tangible way that's the key part and then being able to articulate that in a natural way now that's the thing i think that strs struggle with the most because that's a skill that comes with experience and strs is typically you know relatively inexperienced it's an early early stage role but being able to do that, having the relevance and the personalization together is the is the key part of it. Um, and that's the hardest part to do, but definitely the part that pays off the most. Love it. So as a marketer, we're used to things taking months to show up and having to ask people to be patient and also layering in things that are more short term. Yep. Thinking from that standpoint, you know, everything's a blend of art and science. What are early indicators that people should pivot their messaging 
it's not quite working. Like, what are the things people should be watching as the campaign goes on to make sure they're on the right track to begin with? Yeah. So, like, there are leading metrics that you that I would I would look at in the early stages. In the long term, you know, they they can they're not going to tell you the story. But if you're running your normal campaign, industry average open rates, you know, are like under thirty percent, fifteen to like twenty four percent or something like that is kind of the standard. From the generic, you know, your, your classic outreach sequence, persona-based, throw it to everybody, that, that's where you'd kind of be in that. You do this type of approach, that should be 60 to 80%. If you have your deliverability, everything in check for your deliverability, and you have all of that personalization there, and they're the right type of people, and you validated the data, 60 to 80%. So that's the very first metric. It's the first feedback that you'll get. That should be there. And the open rate is still a reliable metric. The click rate is no longer reliable um, because of the security settings that a lot of companies have. Now, it depends on the company type that you're reaching out to. SMEs, it's still reliable. Big enterprise, you know, you end up with a 60% open rate and a 60% click rate. And you think, okay, it's not, it, it, we can't be that good. Yeah, there's something yeah. definitely fishy. Something here yeah. is not so, right. So that's one thing you have to be careful with. But those are early stage leading metrics. And they can tell you a lot because there should be a, a flow from that. If you've got the high open rate and you have a high click-through rate, legit ones, and you're not getting responses. People are liking what they read in the email, they're going through to the website, and it's not telling the same story, and they're you know not taking action from there. You get the high open rate, you get the very low click rate, low response rate, you're getting in front of people, but the message isn't resonating in any way. And what you hope for is you get your high open rate, you don't really care too much about the click rate, but you got your high response rate, you know, that gives you the platform then from, you know, depending on what type of responses you're getting. Uh, we, we had one client, I obviously won't mention the name, but before where I've never got so, we, we've never seen so many no's, but they were all positive no's, but it was just no's. People didn't need the service. So, uh, you know, I, I feel sorry for that company. I'd say they're probably struggling now because everybody was just replying saying they didn't need, but they got the feedback. So at least that. The last thing you want is radio silence. If you've got radio silence, you've got deeper problems that you need to address from a messaging and a UVP perspective. If you've got responses, you can take action. Oh, that's, I like that. So for people kind of struggling to dial those pieces in, what are some steps that you would recommend they take to, to dial that messaging in more? Meeting with customers, opportunity, interviews, what, what, would, what have you seen work? The, the simplest and most effective, in my opinion, way to do it is to force them. The most common reason why I think people get it wrong is that they talk about the what. Hi, I'm Barry. I'm from Leadable. We're great. We do this, this, and this. Nobody wants to hear that. At, at this stage of the customer journey, they absolutely do not care about you at all. Fortunately, they care a lot about themselves and they care a lot about what they're doing and you know they want to hear about all of that. So I always push people and, and this is very prevalent in service-based businesses. So our portfolio at Leadable is kind of 50-50 split between like agencies and technology companies. The tech companies are usually, usually pretty good at knowing their why. Why, you know, why should anybody be interested in it? Agencies in many cases are not quite as good as that. They're more about, you know, we're great. We work with Red Bull, Coca-Cola, Nike, and you know, you should work with us because of that. But again, people don't really care with that. Yeah, that's so odd to me because they're so much closer to the customer consistently. With with a I technology know. product, usually you're a few steps back, but that, that's fascinating. Sorry, continue. Yeah, so I, I always push at a call with a, a graphic design agency. So like per perfect example here, this was just yesterday. They have a very, you know, that's a, a relatively transactional business 
type, you know, but, but they're looking to attract or get relationships with big enterprise companies for, you know, long-term big, big contract values. But it's not like a SaaS product where you can go in and create a need that they didn't know about. That it's like, oh, we have this new product that you didn't know existed and it's going to change your life. It's something they've been doing for probably 20 years is getting, you know, things printed. But I challenged them a lot and I kept pushing back and I kept asking them why. And they kept responding with a what. Oh, because, you know, we have lots of experience and we can do all of this. And I said, but why should the person on the other end of this LinkedIn message or email or call or video or whatever, why should they change the status quo? They have a supplier right now. It may or may not be perfect, but it's going to be hassle for them to change. Why? Like what is going to be different from their perspective? They're selfish. What would a persona within that company, what would make their life different in any way? Because, you know, company Acme Limited saving $10,000 a year is irrelevant to whatever job title, you know, they're not going to see the money, they're ne they're, it's never going to be important to them, but how can we change their life in some way, make it a percent easier? And that's often the hardest part is to just get focused in on the why, but if you can do that and use that as the foundation for all of your messaging at all times, that makes life a lot easier. So I'd love to dig into that a little bit more from a design agency perspective. And this is something that I'm very familiar with. So, and I see this in tech too. A lot of people, they focus on the features rather than pain points. So maybe they have an adequate design company. Maybe they would benefit though from less review cycles, uh, more communication upfront, better project planning. Those are still features. So how can we position that in a way that would personally impact them on a, I don't want to say selfish level, but more um, empathetic level? Yeah, I would definitely say a selfish level. I, I would push for that because that's, you know, we're asking particularly, we're talking about, you know, I think most of the listeners will probably be selling to enterprise in some way. You think about the, the profile of the person who's working there and where they're working. The company, let's say you're targeting, you know, a, a juggernaut like IBM or something like that. The person in the company, the IT director or, you know, an IT director and a marketing director, I mean, IBM making a little bit more money is so irrelevant to them. Like it, it's not IBM doing anything better, really. It doesn't matter to them. No matter what they say, you know, really deep down, they don't really care. No matter what. I, I refuse to believe anything otherwise. Yeah, status quo but, is fine. It's cool. <laughs> exactly. Nobody ever lost their job for, you know, bringing in the status quo. You know, that they maybe lost it for doing something a little bit crazy. So you need to tap into why is it going to change your life? And it might, you know, the, the motivations might be different for different people, but it might be just something simple as it's just going to take less time, less of their time to do it. And maybe they can just spend a little bit more time, particularly now if people are working from home, a little bit more time with their kids or a little bit less time, more time doing anything. Really. So that's it. That's it. I love that part. So I spoke to the it'll take less time. You made it personal. That's great. Exactly. And one thing we always say with, so there are three things we try to avoid clients or advise clients to avoid in their messaging. The first is fear-based messaging. So, you know, if you don't take our product, you're going to go to jail or you're going to lose your job. So that people don't respond well to that. They shut down. So you don't want fear-based messaging. And the other two are, we will save you time and we will save you money. Now, that's very, very hard because most companies, their, their main thing is either saving you time or saving you money. But you've got to find something deeper because 
that person, that marketing director in IBM, there are 50 other people emailing that person today, telling them that they're going to save some time and money. So you need to get in on something that's actually going to change their day or change their life in a very, very small way. Ah, ending the episode with some fantastic advice. I love it. So Barry, thank you so much for being on the show. Where can people find you online to network? Yeah, it was my pleasure. Uh, so our website is leadable.io. That's L-E-A-D-A-B-L-E dot I-O. So you can kind of find anything from there. Leadable on LinkedIn. And you can find me, Barry Moroni, obviously, through that and the, the wider team. But I'd be delighted to give advice to anybody who's interested in hearing a little bit more. We work with people in a couple of different ways. We can manage everything like end to end or we can actually support an existing team to make the campaigns a little bit better so yeah more than happy to speak with anybody at any stage wonderful so those of you listening to the show if you've enjoyed it rate review subscribe tell two friends it does make a difference and for those of you looking for more great content like this check out calibermind.com 